0: Obviously, the Bible presents the Prince of Darkness as a foe that must be reckoned with. But can we use him as an excuse to dodge responsibility for our own sin? Our study leader, Dave Wurtzen, summarizes our discussion from last week on Deliver Us From Evil to get you all caught up, and then goes on to show us how we can follow the example of Christ and beat the tempter. Stay with us for some careful biblical thoughts about spiritual warfare. We learned that in Genesis chapter 3, he's not presented as some kind of a mythological, gigantic dragon, that there's no way that we could possibly resist him. We learned that in Genesis chapter 3, he's presented as one of the living creatures that God had made, and he comes and does very subtly, very craftily entice Eve, but the serpent is even off the scene when Eve eats of the fruit. In other words, you don't have him overwhelming her. And we talked about we can't ever say, well, the devil made me do it. We can't blame our sin on the devil. We picked up on the ideas in James chapter 1 that everyone is drawn away of their own lust and they're enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. But we did look a little bit about what the Scripture teaches us in Isaiah and the book of Ezekiel about the origins of the evil one. And we've learned that though it was cloaked under the kind of a very dramatic and very symbolic presentation of the destruction of the king of Babylon and the king of Tyre, we learn that we do get some hints about a great archangel, one of the elite at the throne room of God, whose heart became lifted up in pride. And when that heart became lifted up in pride, he chose to set himself as a worship object. He chose to make himself God. And we learned about how he fell. In fact, Paul tells us that it was pride that seduced Lucifer, the morning star, to become the great adversary of God. Now, when we talk about this spiritual warfare that we are engaged in with the enemy, when we talk about doing battle with Satan, it conjures up all kinds of images. We've been looking at Ephesians 6, which is the classic passage on spiritual warfare. And interesting enough is that the Apostle Paul talks to us about that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not just the physical struggles that we have, but it's the intense internal spiritual struggles we have that are the danger. And Paul mentions that there's rulers, there are authorities, there's the princes of this world. But the Bible is very cautious. If we were to go into the occult, I could give you some literature that talks about all the different gradations in angiology, really in demonology. And you use all different kinds of titles, like the strong man. It's one of the titles that the Bible uses, but in this, this intense involvement in satanic warfare, you've got a major stress. One group of believers that are getting into all kinds of putting titles on all the different demonic beings, mapping out the hierarchy, mapping out the authority. I want to warn you about that. I think we need to be very careful about that. The scripture is cautious and it does not tell us a great deal about the hierarchy of the kingdom of darkness. It does communicate to us that Satan does have his hordes, He does have his principalities and powers. But the book of Colossians tells us that our Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary defeated them and conquered them. of the most powerful things that you can do in your battle against the evil one, and that is to praise the exalted majesty of Jesus Christ, because He is high and lifted up. And He is above all the principalities in power. There is no earthly political power. There is no supernatural spiritual power that's higher than Him. And that's why we're gathered to worship the one that on the cross of Calvary vanquished the enemy. And the war has been won. The battle, the major battle, has been fought. And so that gives us a real balance. In other words, you don't need to feel, and I want to stress this to you so much, you don't need to feel as you walk out into the world today that you are at the mercy of all kinds of hidden forces. There's all kinds of demonic beings that can destroy your life, that can overwhelm you and seduce you into sin or totally destroy your physical health. And, and unless you say the right magical formulas or unless you do the right rituals, you're going to be destroyed. Brothers and sisters, that is primitive animism all over again. And the Lord Jesus has come into our heart to set us free. A lot of you remember Walt Baker came and shared about missions to us, gave us a real biblical stress upon why we need to be involved in missions. But Walt Baker has become very close friends with one of the leading voodoo witch doctors in all the world. In fact, he's the leading voodoo specialist in Haiti, which is the center point of the occult in many ways in the world. And Walt was a missionary for many years in Haiti. He developed a friendship with this man, and he's been talking to him about the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, so much so that I shared with some of you how when his wife went into severe depression, one of his wives, he has many, but one of his wives went into severe depression, and he told her, he didn't bring her to the occult, he didn't try to do some voodoo on her. He said, You need to go into town, buy a hymn book to praise God. You get a hymn book, and get a Bible. And then I want you to go to a Bible-believing pastor that I know, and you go to him and you tell him, I want to learn how I can be born into God's family. And that was his answer. He said, God, Jesus Christ, coming into your life, will be your answer. And he told this friend of Walt's, told him, you know, point blank, that's what he told him. But he also told Walt something very important, and it enters in to this, what I want to caution about, on this severe stress upon the world of the demonic. This voodoo specialist said, you know, Walt, one of the major things that we try to do in the occult is to break down the dividing line between the imagination and the real world of the senses. Every one of you, as you're in this room today, your eyes tell you that I'm sitting here, your ears tell you that I'm talking to you, a healthy mind You're able to say, I actually am sitting, I actually am thinking, and David's talking to me, and I'm learning from his word. And your mind, Lord willing, should be intensely active. In the occult, they try to break that sense of reality and to enter the world of the imagination. And that line becomes totally distorted. In fact, this voodoo specialist goes into his little place where he does the occult, and he sees all kinds of beings. And he has all kinds of weird experiences because the world of the imagination becomes this man's real world. We have a little feel of that as people begin to have severe psychological problems. One of the things that begins to dissociate is their ability to determine what is actually really true and what's just imaginary. I think that we need to be very cautious as believers. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I would rather praise God with my mind, with a full control of my facilities, mentally alert, emotionally alive, able to, to make decisions wisely for the glory of God. The Word of God, brothers and sisters, calls us into a life of intense reality, not a world of imagination. So let's be very cautious. So on the one hand, you have one group of believers that when you talk to them about spiritual warfare, they think you need to learn all about the satanic ritual calendar. You need to learn all about the rituals. You need to learn about how to break all of these kinds of vows that are made. And what I want to say is that what we need to do is to build our warfare with Satan from the holy word of God. And we need to claim the victory that's been won through the death and the resurrection. We do it through humility, by bowing at the foot of the cross, we do it by what we're doing this morning. We do it as we read Scripture together. And I would encourage you, if you ever are confronted with someone who's claiming to be controlled by the evil one or controlled by a demon, one of the greatest things you can do is open up to a book like Colossians chapter 2. You might want to flip there. You might need this sometime. Just open up to Colossians chapter 2 and you could just read this. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Pick it up with verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ and He forgave us all of our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, the Lord Jesus took it away and nailed it to the cross. Now here's the verse. Verse 15. And having disarmed the powers, authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And I would just encourage you, rather than get into some kind of a wrestling match with demonic activity supposedly, just quietly and humbly read the Holy Word of God and then just pray. And pray to your Lord Jesus. And be very careful not to get caught up in this fear of this invisible world because our Savior is greater. Now, that's one extreme. We could call that the spiritualist world, the person who sees demons in their car, in their house, and all over the place, okay? The other side, though, is a modern problem called the rationalist. The modern rationalist responds and well, all this Satan talk is just imagination. It's just pretend. There isn't any real Satan. And they deny the reality of Satan. In fact, a Russian philosopher said that one of the sure evidences we have that there really is a Satan is that modern man in his enlightenment has come to believe that there isn't a Satan, and that's Satan's ultimate ploy which proves that there's got to be this cunning, crafty person called the adversary. That's the enemy of God. So we want to be very cautious about being a rationalist and feeling like there isn't any spiritual world, there isn't any conflict between God and Satan because the book of Revelation, the last book in the Scripture, that's one of the major themes of the book. That there is this tremendous conflict with the dragon of old, the serpent of old, the dragon that's out to conquer the forces of God. And Revelation assures us that we're going to win. Those that claim the living Word of God are going to win. So we have those two extremes. The spiritualist who is seeing a demon under every bush and the rationalist who denies the reality of Satan. As biblical believers, we need to be balanced in that we affirm the reality of Satan. But what I want to share is that while we're out there worrying about making sure we know that there aren't demons involved in this and that there's not this and all kinds of strange phenomenon, the real adversary, the real enemy often comes to us in just plain, everyday life. And He comes to us with very crafty temptations. And what the Word of God tells us is, is that it's not the fortune-telling girl, for example, that the apostles delivered in the book of Acts. That's not the usual kind of situation that you're confronted with. Or the gathering demoniac that was out in the tombs cutting his arms, which demons and Satan will cause someone to do. The gathering demoniac's personality had been lost because of years of sin evidently where a legion of demons had taken over him and he was out in the, in the tombs cutting himself and screaming and yelling and had tremendous strength. Most of you aren't going to deal with that every day. To be honest with you, praise God, aren't you glad? Most of you aren't going to deal with a situation where a person comes and has, a, has kind of an epileptic fit only this time it's not a physical epilepsy which is just a physical disease that we can use medications to help. But this is what the Lord Jesus faced where a a terrible satanic being had caused a boy to throw himself in the fire at times and the Lord Jesus set him free from that. Now there is that kind of phenomenon and that's part of reality. But what I want to share with you is that it's not the usual kind of reality. Even in the Lord's day, it wasn't the norm. It wasn't what believers usually face. What is it that believers usually face? We're going to look at it today because when the Lord Jesus prayed, delivered from the evil one, He's a great teacher. And previous in this book, He had already showed us that if the evil one does attack, this is how you should resist Him. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. In the Lord Jesus' temptation, this is the first temptation of Jesus, not the last temptation of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, we have the famous classical passage talking about one of the most severe conflicts that ever took place in the spiritual realm. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, "...then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil." Now, remember what we've learned. God will allow one of His children to be taken into a point of testing. God's intent is what? What does God want to do for his son as he takes him into the wilderness of testing. What does God want to do for his son? Somebody tell me. Deliver him. What do you think God wants to reveal about his son in this very intense testing? That he's what? That he's sinless. That's right. Exactly right. That's good. That he's sinless. That he's strong. Do you think God the Father is saying, ha ha, now I've got my one and only son. He chose to to become a man and now I can make him really vulnerable. I'm going to take him out in the wilderness for 40 days. I'm going to starve him to death. And then ha ha ha, I'm going to watch this horror flick as Satan grinds him up and demolishes him. Is that what God is saying? No. Now I want you to notice something. It's the same wilderness. It's the same hunger. It's the same situation in life. God will allow His children, like we learned last week, to go through a time of testing. God will lead His children at times into intense confrontation with the evil one. But what we learned is that God's intent, just like God's intent in bringing His Son, the Lord Jesus, into the wilderness to be tempted, God's purpose is not to tempt Him. God's purpose is to test Him to prove His mettle, to prove His authenticity, to prove His strength. And God's going to do the same thing for us. Our loving Father's never trying to wipe us out. He's always trying to strengthen us. Hold on to that. But the evil one in exactly that situation can want to tempt us or seduce us into evil. And so it says the tempter came to Him after Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and He was hungry because He was fully a man. Before we get into the specific ways that the tempter will come to your life and to mine, I want to warn you about the circumstance of intense physical need. We need to realize the physical-spiritual connection. When you are tired, when you are overstressed out, when you are hungry, when you are in severe physical trial, watch out. That's a vulnerable time. And one of the things that we should do for one another as believers, we should learn about how to protect one another from those kinds of times. It's when you're physically exhausted and you don't think you can go another, another step. That's when the tempter can come. And that's why we need to be together. How many pastors do I know that they labored for many years? They poured themselves into the ministry. They cared about their people. They were in the hospital when they needed to be there. They did the funerals. They did the weddings. But what they did is they, just, they forgot they were human beings. They forgot that they were just physical, everyday people, just like everyone else. And they just leaked out all of their physical strength. And that's when Satan got them and their ministry was destroyed. You need to learn how to take many breaks and how to realize when you've had enough and you need to get away. You need to learn not to feel guilty about that. You're not in a church family that's going to say, oh no, you weren't in church last Sunday? What were you doing? Well, we took a trip down to Austin, went to a state park and camped out. You should have been in church. Naughty, naughty, naughty. Have your own church with your family. Read the Word of God yourself. But break your schedules. Get rested up. Don't let yourself get physically so far down that you become vulnerable. We all need to help one another. Don't take life so seriously. Don't take the burden of the ministry so heavy. What do you do just to have a good time? What do you do just to relax? And that was really wise. I mean, that just burned into my mind. Because it's very easy to come out of seminary. And all of life is seminary. It's all super spiritual. And you don't ever have a good time. You don't ever just do things that are just fun. Why do you do them? Because they're fun. It's very important for every one of us to heed that advice. That's a wise woman's advice. Take a break. But you know, sometimes in life you can't. Like the Lord Jesus had to go through this time of testing. How do you handle it when you can't? And you are tired and you are hungry and you are tremendously hurt. How do you handle it? Well, let's see how the Lord Jesus did. The tempter came to Him and the tempter said, if you are the sons of, Son of God, tell these stones to become bread." Now, this is, this is the physical temptation. Basically, the heart of this temptation is meet your physical needs apart from dependence upon your heavenly father what satan is shooting for is just a little tiny bit of separation just a little bit of separation between dependence upon the loving daddy in heaven and self independence it's a very subtle temptation we all wrestle with it every single day it's the temptation as we grow older to think i can do it i can provide for my needs I can take care of the physical area of life. It's where worry comes in because it all depends upon me. Now, I want you to see the subtlety of this. Is there anything wrong with bread? How many of you have ever heard bread is a sinful thing? Mrs. Baird's bread, it's like the New Age movement that's infiltrating the United States. How many of you have ever heard a message like that? Is there anything wrong with bread? How many of you moms like to bake fresh bread? Is there anything sinful about it? Some of you that are trying to diet say, you bet there is. There really isn't anything wrong with bread. Bread's a great thing. It's a good thing. So I want you to see, Satan takes a good thing, bread. And we can extrapolate this. The Word of God says that all of God's physical things... Now listen to me. Very important to understand this. Many believers don't understand this. There is no such thing as a physical Physical, material, evil. Evil isn't in material things. It's not in sounds. You need to realize that the evil's not in sound. It's not in things that we eat. Be very careful about this. All these material things, sound, rhythm, food, sexuality, and on and on we can go. All these physical things are good gifts of God. Now, where does the sin come in? It's when the tempter comes and says, do it my way. Do it independent from God. Do it illegitimately. Let me just take one that's very neutral. Like, how does bread become sinful? Well, when you start just tanking the bread down. Now, why do we tank the bread down? Because we feel if we get this stomach full enough, life will be meaningful. We will be satisfied we will be happy. And what we do is we start to program our life. We've all done this a little bit. It's good to say we're going to go out to eat on Friday because then you can live your whole life looking forward to that sumptuous, delicious, incredible meal on Friday night. And we can motivate our life. And I'm making an extreme. But see, that's worship. That's worship. That's divine worship, only it's become idolatry. Because you can get your stomach as full as you want. What happens when you get your stomach really, really full? Really full. (laughs) Then some of you that have problems in that area, you know what you say then? Oh no, I'm such a bad person, I need to get rid of this stuff. And that's how we get into bulimia. Because we feel so guilty, we feel so bad about ourselves, now we've got to purge ourselves. Notice even the terminology, purge. Now all that is, is pushing, meeting physical needs, thinking if I get this stomach full enough, then I'm going to have the pain relieved, I'm going to be able to be happy, I'm going to be able to be satisfied. Who alone can make us happy? Who alone can give us something worth living for? If you're skinny and you're a perfect seven... Are you going to be satisfied then? Are you really going to be happy then? Well, our society is screaming to the girls, yes, you will be. And God is saying, no, you won't. You can't live for that. That's what this little phrase, you said, I didn't know all that was involved. Yeah, all that's involved in, there's nothing wrong with bread. But Satan just said, why don't you just turn the bread meet your own needs? Meet your own needs. You're hungry. That's a legitimate need. Meet your own needs. And how did Jesus respond? Look what Jesus said. Jesus answered from Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. It is written. What's the sword of the spirit? Someone that's really sharp in Sunday school terminology. What's the sword of the spirit in Ephesians chapter 6? And the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Where did we get that from? Here it is. It stands written. The way we do battle with Satan is by knowing the Word. That's why we're opening the Word of God. It's why almost every one of our services center, the center point is the open Bible and interacting together about it. That needs to be true in your own life. It stands written. What stands written? Man shall not live by bread alone. You can never find satisfaction, the meaning of life in bread alone. But on every word, where are you going to find satisfaction? Where are you going to find life? And every word that comes from the mouth of God, God's revelation of Himself, it's not just a bookish religion, it's a person religion, a personal faith in the living God that talks to us in the Bible, and that satisfies us. It meets the deepest needs. It'll give you moments where as you're walking through a daily schedule, if you're opening yourself up to the voice of love, from the God the Father and the Holy Scripture, there will be moments where you'll kind of look backwards, kind of sideways in your personality, and feel like, I am satisfied. Thank you, Father. I want to ask you something in your life. Do you ever find yourself kind of from your unconscious mind just suddenly bubbling up and saying, thank you, thank you, God. That was really neat. You find that? That's healthiness. That's where your walk with the Lord should be. You say, well, Dave, that hasn't ever happened to me then you need to open your ears. You need to let the voice of a loving Daddy in Heaven from this Holy Scripture speak upon your heart. You need to let Him love you into satisfaction. Let me say that again. You need to let the loving Heavenly Daddy love you into satisfaction. I want to tell you something. You'll never have total satisfaction. Moments of it, yes. But never total satisfaction. You know why? Because there's a not yet. We're not totally home yet with Him. We're totally one with Him from His perspective, but we've still got a lot of this earthly side to things. And we're on the way home. So we get glimpses of the kind of exhilarating satisfaction we're going to have in heaven, but there's always kind of a a yearning. Learn to live with that. Yearn not to try to drown that out. It's okay. It's okay to have a big birthday celebration. All right, to have a great big birthday celebration, but as you grow older, the birthday celebrations start running out of gas, don't they? That's okay. If you'll realize, Lord, the reason it's running out of gas is because I'm not really home to the big birthday yet. I haven't gotten there yet. It's coming. And you learn to live with that, And you learn to let it motivate you for that tremendous reunion with your Savior. Don't run away from it. Don't drink to try to take that away. Don't pour yourself into your work to try to take that away. Learn to live with that little bit of ache. It's okay to realize you're not home yet. And don't run away from that. Don't try to cover it up. But God will give you moments of tremendous satisfaction, tremendous fulfillment, but never total until we go home to be with Him. That's temptation number one. Physical temptation to meet our physical needs apart from the plan of God. What's the antidote to that? We need to learn to read the Word of God and learn to live by the Word of God in our relationship with Him and not living just for the personal prideful satisfaction of our own needs. Number two, the devil then took him into the holy city and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, it stands written, now that Satan's gonna quote scripture. You think Satan can't quote Scripture, man, he can do it really well. He will come in his angels. He's quoting from Psalm ninety one, verses eleven and twelve, which the whole Psalm is about God's protection of the righteous and how we can depend upon him. And Satan says, Okay, he will come in his angels concerning you, that they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, what could possibly be wrong with demanding a little miracle once in a while? Don't you think that would be neat? Wouldn't it be neat if we could come to church? Just imagine, we could open the windows there in the back, up there, and we could maybe just once every six Sundays, we could poise somebody up there in the window, and we could all pray, Lord, levitate them. They're going to jump out of the window and then... Float them down gently so they don't break their leg, like almost the knee church this is called. Everyone's got knee surgery. But we're going to levitate somebody out of the window. They're going to land just as gently as if they were on a parachute. Wouldn't that be fun? Man, can you imagine the crowds that we could get? If we could announce four Sundays from now, we're going to get somebody up in the window, they're going to jump and they're going to levitate around the auditorium and they're not going to be hurt. How many think we could get a big crowd for that? Isn't that what God's about? He wants to reach people. Everyone needs a little miracle once in a while, right? That's all that Satan's saying. We've even got Scripture for it. We could quote Scripture, Psalm 91. The Scripture says if you jump out of the window, His angel will take control of you and you will jump and they won't even let your foot smash against a stone. So we'll make it really intriguing. We'll put a big jagged rock right at the bottom of that window. What's wrong with that? You know, some of you, that's the kind of religion you have. I want you to listen real carefully to me. Some of you, that's exactly where you are with God. If God does a little bit of miracles every once in a while, just enough to show you that he's there, then you're going to depend upon him. It's a very normal way for human beings to interact with God. It's like, God, we don't really believe in you. Prove yourself to us. Do your thing. That's what the children of Israel did in the wilderness again and again and again. The Lord delivered them through the Red Sea by grace as a free gift. They get out in the wilderness. Now, I want to ask you a question. A guy that can divide oceans, how many of you think he can serve you a meal? A guy that can divide oceans, bring two million people across on dry land, do you think he can feed you a meal? Yeah, I think he can. But you know what they had trouble with? God, we are hungry. Take us back. Man, there was tremendous, tremendous Egyptian food. Boy, can those spices are incredible. And they griped and griped and griped and griped they tested the Lord. They said, give us a miracle. Now, every single day, the Lord gave them food. Just dropped it out of heaven on them called manna. Then what did they do? They got tired of the manna. They said, we don't like the manna anymore. We're tired of it. No appreciation. Demanding. How do you parents feel when your kids say, Mom and Dad, you're going to do so and so and so and so and so and so. How many of you moms and dads respond, Boy, isn't that great. What a lovely little child we have here. Why don't you respond to that well? Because you don't make demands on love like that. Manipulation and genie ideas, rubbing Aladdin's lamp, that's all involved in this testing of the Lord. And there's whole religions that are built on that. God, I'll believe if you do a miracle. Well, God's already done an unbelievable amount of miracles. Like, that's news for you. God could do a miracle right in front of your face, and if your heart isn't open, you won't believe. You won't respond. It's an incredible reality about the human heart. The Pharisees actually knew for sure that Jesus rose again from the dead, and they came up with a plan and a plot and a story to counteract that reality. I mean, can you imagine? They knew for sure He had risen from the dead. But their hearts were so hard, they wouldn't respond. And that shows you how important it is for us not to be testing the Lord with a miracle. So how did the Lord Jesus respond? He said, Satan... Jesus answered to him, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The Lord will do miracles for us. But he's not the one that's on trial. He's our daddy that we need to rest in. He's our daddy that we need to trust. And faith is a situation where you're not testing him. You are depending upon him and loving him. And so be very careful about misusing scripture and making it presumption. Another thing here that's very, very prominent in this casting himself in the pinnacle of the temple that would have been the ultimate, what I was talking about, the ultimate way to gather a crowd. Thousands are gathered in the, the, the temple area. You've all heard that. All the Jewish people were gathered and the Messiah would have jumped off the pinnacle of the temple and would have said, here I am, your supernatural Messiah. And all human choices and freedom and the ability to be able to give your love willingly to someone would have been lost. You would have just had a bow before omnipotent, almighty power. And that's not the way Jesus is coming to us today. He's coming to us not jumping off buildings with a single bow. He came as a baby in a manger. He came as a carpenter. He came just going to weddings, common everyday weddings. He came as a Galilean. He came just talking. He gave His authenticating signs. He did do miracles, which were His credit cards, authenticating cards from the Old Testament that said, this is the Messiah. But He never did a miracle to prove himself because he had to, because a human being was testing him. It was always by grace and always freely. The third temptation says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdom of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. This is the old Faustian trick where the devil comes to a man and says, sell your soul to me and I'll give you the world. And all those great, great literary pieces are built on this idea. Satan will give you the easy route. You see, what Satan promises the Lord Jesus is all the kingdoms of the world. And I want to share it. I want you to think, what is God's plan? What did I read to you in the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians? He has subjugated all the authorities and all the kingdoms to who? To the Son of God. So what Satan is promising the Lord Jesus is exactly what God the Father has given the Son now and ultimately is going to bring to total fruition when the Son rules and reigns over all the creation. So what Satan promises the Son of God is exactly what God the Father is going to give him. So what's wrong with it? Why not bow down to Satan? Because it would have been turning away from his Father and choosing the easy way. One of the choices that all of us are going to have to face in our life is Christianity is really a path that has to be willing to accept pain. And we've been sharing about this the last few weeks. One of the major struggles in the American culture is we don't want to have any pain. In other words, if we can get to the kingdom the easy way, then let's go that way. You know the tragedy of that? You never learn obedience going that way. You never build character that way. That's why God hasn't chosen it. God has so ordained that in order to really grow in him, you've got to be willing to walk into the cross with the Lord Jesus. In fact, in reality, all of us are on a pathway to death, just like the Lord Jesus, unless the Lord Jesus comes back. It's that very idea. People live all their life in fear of death. And people do all kinds of crazy things to try to drown out that fear because they don't want to face the pain. They don't want to face the cross. And the Lord Jesus says to us, He says, join with me. I've grown old, and yet I didn't even have the chance. I got to my middle life, and wham! I was violently struck down by a criminal act. That's bad news. But I trusted my Heavenly Father. It says He, because of the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and henceforth he seated on the right hand of God. What is Jesus saying? It's the way that I went to the kingdom was through the cross. And the reason I could trust my daddy in the cross is I know my daddy well. And I knew he wouldn't let that be the end of the story. There would be the rest of the story. I knew that ultimately there would be a resurrection. Now that's faith. If you're in a situation right now where it all looks like the cross, it all looks like rejection, it looks, all looks like pain, then what you have to do is rest in the personality and the dependability of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who promise that eventually there will be a resurrection. If you're growing old and your body is wrestling with a disease like we've talked about, or emotionally, if you're very, very down. Jesus is saying, I'm with you in that pain. I understand it. Don't run away from it. Rest in me, because we're going home. And there's going to be tremendous victory, tremendous resurrection, tremendous celebrations. Satan always says, Satan always comes to you and says, buy now, buy right now. But then he makes you pay. Like Satan says to young people, Go ahead and enjoy sexuality when you're 14 and 15, before you get married. When you're really, you know, really vibrating. Fulfill yourself there. God's plan's going to be baloney. Buy now. Then you pay later. You go through broken marriages. Little children are born that don't have moms and dads. Drinking. Getting totally smashed at graduation time. What's the idea? We graduated. Let's get totally smashed because we're going to celebrate now. it say we're going to have the kingdom right now. Man, what a feeling it is to be totally smashed on a Friday night. But what about Saturday morning? Satan always says, buy now on Friday night, but then you pay. And what happens when someone drives and it goes out of control? And you can go on and on and on. Satan's always saying instant fulfillment now. No pain, just worship me and I'll give you the kingdom. But he's a liar. Remember, don't ever forget that Satan's a liar. He lies and then he takes your life. The Son of God's way is a harder way. It's a way that's very realistic. It's willing to endure pain. It's willing to endure the suffering of the cross. But it's, it's rooted in a kingdom of love and of truth and of a healthy, sound mind. And walking with His Savior since I was a little boy, I've never had my Savior lie to me. And He has never tried to murder me. And He's never tried to destroy me. Sometimes I thought that He was. But He wasn't. Because He is a good, loving, tender Father. So with the Son of God, we learn in the everydayness of temptation, you're going to face these temptations this week. Number one, beware of meeting your physical needs outside the plan of God. If you can't bow your head and say, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for what I'm about ready to enjoy. And I thank you for giving it to me. If you can't do that, don't. Because you're not receiving it as a gift. And you can apply that to a lot of areas that you do. You need to do all that you do, meeting all your physical needs to the glory of God. Second of all, beware of living a life with God, constantly testing Him. Presumptuous religion. Instead, live a life of humble... Reliance upon his ability to meet your needs and to protect you. And don't do the the supernatural thing. Don't always be asking God to do the miracle for you. Thirdly, beware of the easy journey to the kingdom. Rest with your Father's will that it is good to learn obedience through the things that we suffer. As we close this series in which we have allowed the Lord Jesus to teach us to pray. I trust that each of you have grown in your prayer strength. Be sure to share this series with your friends. And thanks for carving out this special time for us to be together.